You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, this morning, I'm, we're going to share, uh, I'm going to talk about what it means to take your faith to work, to faith at work, if you will. How many of you work in an environment, have, at least, have one coworker or maybe a culture to where faith is, shall we say, less than encouraged, that it's Maybe you're like, I don't know if I can really even say anything because it might, you know, raise eyebrows. I might get in trouble or it might be some people that just don't appreciate it. How many of you kind of work in that world where, yeah, it just can be kind of kind of hostile? Um, sometimes you have neighbors who just somehow figure out that you're one of those Christians. And then, you know, there's that thing that's always there, if you will, between you. And sometimes it's family members in your own home or extended family. It's it's so fascinating to me that in a world in which we are increasingly supposed to be more and more tolerant, I feel that the world is more and more intolerant of people of faith, especially Christians. Um, and so this morning, I want us to talk what it means to really be a Christian who goes to work, who doesn't have to hide, live in fear. What does it mean for you and I to, to live out our faith? Uh, I'll tell you a secret I chose, or part of the reason that I chose for us to walk through the book of Daniel is I feel that we more and more live in the time of Daniel. More and more among a people that don't understand, that either don't get it, or that we just, it can be a challenge, right? So Daniel is an incredible hero of the faith. Uh, I can't think of anything that the Bible says about him that's actually negative. Usually the Bible, every character in the Bible you start, you hear about, you hear about negative things. I mean, David and maybe Daniel, maybe Joseph, but outside of those guys and Jesus, of course, all the apostles just didn't get it. They were clueless. We see all kinds of messes in people's lives, but Daniel is just an amazing hero, and he learned how to integrate his commitment to God with the real world in which he lived that was absolutely against God, and he made it work. So if he made it work in an environment that was a lot more hostile than what you and I go through, I mean, you may be a Christian and you may work for government or state or whomever, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to get thrown into a fiery furnace next week, all right? You know, I'm pretty sure that you're not facing the things that he faced. So if he figured out how to live in that world, then I think we ought to be able to as well. Uh, the first real job that I had after getting married, I worked for the town of Bennington. So kind of like Daniel, not maybe to a much lesser degree, if you will. I was kind of in the, the bowels of the local political scene, you know, if you will, or just all of the government uh, in, in Bennington. Probably not much bigger of a, a town office set up than just what the town or Gilderland would have. And I worked in the assessor's office. And so, you know, I knew the clerk and accounts receivable and I knew all knew the people, the accountant actually did some work for the town accountant, knew the, the town supervisor, all of that. And, uh, but I worked in an office with, there were three of us, administrative assistant, the town assessor who was an appraiser, and then, and then me. And I'm, I don't know if there were any other Christ followers in that whole building, but I was the only one that I knew that, that was. Maybe there were some others, I don't know, but the two people that I worked with definitely were not, and the woes that I worked the most around definitely were not. And uh, I remember I, I got a glimpse into what the administrative assistant thought of me one day when she referred to me as, a, as her Jiminy Cricket. 
Uh, are you familiar with the, 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 the old Disney show, Pinocchio? If you're not, Jimmy Cricket is that little, kind of the goody two-shoes who never does anything wrong and who's always, you know, calling out Pinocchio when he's about to do something wrong. He's the one like, yeah, you really shouldn't do that. And I thought, wow, I just have been like doing my job. I didn't, you know, I literally never once said anything. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You know, that's bad. I never once did anything like that. But literally me just working in that office, I guess it raised the bar in a way morally that I had no clue about. My, my supervisor, the assessor was a very, he was very open to things spiritually. So he was into seeking, you know, anything new age, anything spiritual and all of that, really kind of open to whatever is out there. And I remember we went to lunch uh, in Bennington. It's actually a deli it's still there. You gotta love a deli that's called Your Belly's Deli, right? Isn't that an awesome name? So it's still there. You can go check them out if you want. But uh, we went and had lunch at lunch, uh, lunch break, and uh, and I had a chance to share my faith with him and got a chance to hear more of what he believed. And he had a friend who said, you know, went up onto a mountain in Vermont and and uh, kind of meditated and opened himself up to whatever was out there spiritually. He said, my friend said, he said, whoa, I don't know what that was, but there was something really evil that visited me. And I thought, yeah, I know exactly what that was. Uh, that's what we call demons. And uh, that's when I kind of realized the lesson that, wow, the whole world around us thinks that if something's spiritual, it must be good. And that's just dumb. Stranger danger is real in the physical world. It's even realer if that's a word, it's re more real in the spiritual world. If you don't know what you're dealing with, I promise you it's a demon. It's like that's, that's what reality is. So I want us this morning to think about what it means to work, whether you work for the state of New York, with a bunch, which a bunch of you guys do, and the, the business sector and the not-for-profit sector, if you're doing your own thing, that we actually can live out our faith more than we think we can, and we ought to more than we probably do, all of us included, myself included. So turn with me to the book of Daniel, if you would. And uh, we're going to look at the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's an amazing story, and I must confess, I've always talked about the incredible thing that God did in sending angels and stopping the mouths of lions, and there's some amazing things in here, but I'm absolutely astounded about Daniel's immovable faith this morning just absolutely like a rock through his whole time. And the, the story of Daniel and the lion's den doesn't happen without a man who is willing to integrate his spiritual life into his workplace. And because of that faithfulness, God was able to show up and, and show up in a powerful way. So read with me, if you would, the first few verses here in Daniel 6. The Bible says this, It pleased Darius. Darius was a Mede, and, and the, the leader of the, the Mede, Empire, if you recall, Babylon was just overthrown. Darius took the throne, according to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. And so it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. So kind of 120 governors divided up and gave them responsibilities over the kingdom. And over them, three presidents. So the king, full power and authority, take your life or not. Three presidents under him, 120 satraps under them, is the way he divided his kingdom up. And of whom Daniel was one, Daniel was one of the three, to whom these, these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was found in him, 
and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, let me ask you a good question. If you work in an office with a lot of people, and all of a sudden one of the employees becomes the favorite child of that office, what happens? A little bit of jealousy starts roaming through the office just a little bit? Yes. A little bit of gossip starts floating and flying around, a little bit of insecurity. Absolutely. Can we put ourselves in the shoes? We have all seen this in different ways, shapes, or form, right? Well, that's what Daniel has going through because he was a man faithful to God. He rose through the ranks and the king saw him and like, oh my goodness, you're my number two guy. Not only does, are you one of the three, but you're really my go-to guy. If it's not me handling something, it's you. And a lot of stuff was going on in jealousy in the process. So in verse 4, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. We're going to knock him down. Take him down. That's really what criticism does in the office and gossip and all of that anyway. So they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. In other words, the rules of the land. But they could find no ground for fault, for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. They went through all the parking tickets of the kingdom. Daniel's not here. They hopped on the computer. He had never ridden his donkey too fast through town and got pulled over, you know. They looked in his employee file. He's never been written up for anything. They, they looked and said, this guy is squeaky clean. And they asked their friends, have you ever heard Daniel complaining, you know, anything subversive about the king, complaining about his policies or having to work overtime or, you know, missing Christmas because of whatever or having to stay late? This dude was clean. Nothing against him and it came, when it came towards the whole entire kingdom, his entire life, he lived according to the rules of the land. He lived in a way that was faithful and excellent spirit was against him. So they shrugged their shoulders and said, well, we can't find any way to take him down by, you know, by the laws. So then the, look at the, what the next verse said. So they turned their sights to the next one. Then, the, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against him, against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Oh, but this Daniel serves his God faithfully, and he doesn't cut corners, and he doesn't compromise, and he doesn't spiritually, like, for work, he's a man of integrity. For him spiritually, he's a man of integrity. If we're going to catch him, we're going to find something spiritually that he can't do that somehow conflicts with our laws. So they came up with a plan and they said, Oh, king, they go to Darius. This is pretty deceitful, pretty manipulative, pretty smart on their part. Oh, Darius, you're such a wonderful king. Let's make a law for 30 days. This is not a forever law. This is not a big deal. But for 30 days, this would be really cool. And make a rule that anybody in the kingdom, if they're going to pray to a higher power, whatever that higher power is, O oh king, it needs to be to you. Well, Darius is probably like most kings, just a little bit of an ego issue in there somewhere, right? So he didn't flag. He's like, whoa, I like that. Yeah, I like everybody praying to me. That's a little bit egotistical, right? How would you like to have millions of people all of a sudden coming to you with stuff that you're supposed to do for them? I don't want that job, not in a million years, right? But he thought it was good. 
The reason they made that rule is because they knew exactly what Daniel would do, that Daniel would not comply and he would break that rule. So Darius signs the law, a law that can't be broken. And in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, just kind of a hope and always praying that, you know, back toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God, and this is key, as he had done previously. Daniel didn't all of a sudden become a man of faith, like a protester to some law. He wasn't picketing this new law. He just went about his business and did what he always did and did not dare to change his spiritual life. He refused to be intimidated or to cower before the laws of the land that said, this is ridiculous. I ought to be able to be in my own home and pray with my windows open however I want and however I please. And there's no king in the land that ought to be able to do that. The, the laws of God at that point conflicted with the laws of, of people, and he chose the law of God. So you know what those jealous guys did? Oh, king! Today, they would have been shooting video. You know, they would have had pictures. They would have, you know, we got it, king. We got him red hot right here, king. He was not inspecting the color of the carpet. No, we know. And keep in mind, Jews prayed out loud, so they probably heard some of these prayers. Windows open, and it was right there. So they say, king, he's broken your law. And according to the law, he has to be executed. Now, the king liked Daniel. He had favored child status, if you will, favored son. He just trusted him, and the king found him completely faithful and could trust him completely, not, not lacking integrity, not trying to get his own way, anything. And the king did everything he could to circumvent those law, that law, because he knew by then, he's like, what have you guys done? Oh, are you kidding me? What have you done? And he couldn't find a way. And they said, oh, king, you signed, you promised. You can't be king if you don't keep this law. So the king was forced to throw him into a big pit with lions, hungry lions. Lions that are powerful. My understanding is the, the power, when you think about the jaws of a lion, they're powerful, but their paws are powerful. They can break a skull wide open just in one swat, just ridiculously powerful. That big mane that the big males have is all muscle under there, and it's just so, so ridiculously strong. And, Daniel, and uh, King Darius said, Oh, Daniel, I pray your God is strong enough to somehow keep you from the lions. And the Bible says that he tried to rescue him all the way to sundown, and he couldn't. So he commanded for him to be put into the pit to be executed by the lions. And the, the door was closed, and the king goes back, and the Bible says there was no entertainment brought to him, no Netflix flowing that night. No dinner, no wine, no, no, his wives and concubines weren't brought to him. That he, sleep escaped him. He was so grieving, so grieving over that event. And first thing, when the sun was up in the morning, he went back to see how Daniel had fared. I think it's pretty easy to see that faith will often conflict in the world around us. And we increasingly are in that environment. But increasingly, we as God's children have to not cower in that, 
But we also don't need to be jerks. You know, I'm not recommending that, you know, tomorrow morning you go slap a Jesus bumper sticker on the front of your desk. You know, I don't, I'm not sure that's what we need to walk away this morning with. I don't recommend at the lunchroom when it's lunchtime and everybody's talking, you say, wait a minute, quiet, quiet, please. I'm about to pray and eat lunch. Please, quiet. I believe in God. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend you all of a sudden, you know, you hear some swearing. Hey, I'm a Christian. You shouldn't be saying that. I, I'm pretty sure that's not what we should be doing. But we ought to be people of faith, even at work. You see, faith, our, our relationship with Jesus is not something that you can take off. You can't just take your faith off like a necklace or a hat or a shirt and say, okay, I'm going to work. I'm going to strip myself of all of that. It's not even something that you hide and put into a pocket and cover over. If you really can do that with your faith, then your faith is a little bit suspect. If you really are living out your faith, and it really is soaked into your life and saturated, marinated in it, if you will, and Jesus has changed your life and lives inside of you, you're really not going to be able to hide it from people around you anymore that I didn't truly try to do anything in the office that I did. I was just being me in the middle of it. And God gave me opportunities to share and testify to bring glory to him and bring light into a dark world. And it'll be the same for you along the way. So three things I want you to know this morning. And the first thing is, if, if you were to take your faith to work, if you were to work out your faith, live your faith at work, You've got to be a person of faith 24-7, 365. This is not a Sunday morning only kind of deal. And, and, and I'm using that word about faith, but let's, let's be clear. Real Bible faith is in Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, that he has saved us from our sins and given us a relationship with him. Our faith and trust is in him because he's the only one that's worth that, that, that kind of faith. And it should be something that, that impacts us in entirely, completely. What I'm astounded when I think about Daniel, he lived in one kingdom, Jehoiakim was his king, and that kingdom toppled. Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered, and so Daniel gets siphoned off as a would-be slave into to Babylon. And he's under Nebuchadnezzar, and he's, he's under the next number two in line, Belshazzar. And then that kingdom gets toppled and Darius comes in and becomes king. He's been in three different complete takeovers in the world. You know, put yourself in that world. You know, you go through administrative changes, supervisor shifts, new policies, new employers, new mergers, new all kinds of things like that. And we struggle and shape in the middle of it. Do we not think that Daniel had all of that and about a hundred times more and all of that world? And yet he's constant in all of it. Constant. We see him from the very beginning. Hey, can we avoid eating food that's been offered to idols? Would it be okay if we just ate some food that our God allows? Okay, I don't think that's going to work, Daniel, but all right, if you want to. And God honored that. We see Daniel being and his, fr his friends thrown into the fiery furnace. We see Daniel living for God and, and being able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And we see Daniel here in the simplicity. He didn't go out politicking against anyone or anything. He didn't go out... To, uh, you know, demonstrating. He didn't, didn't go out uh, picketing. He just was trying to do what the Bible tells us we should do in 1 Timothy to pray for our rulers that we could live a life peaceably 
and honorably before God without harassment and without being thrown to the lions or thrown in the, the fire furnace. He was a man who was constant in his faith. And the reason he was constant is because God is a God who doesn't change. God was the, was the biggest thing, is the biggest thing in Daniel's life. And since God doesn't change, Daniel doesn't change. You and I often do this in our life because of all of the stuff that's going on around and craziness. And it hits me too. It hits all of us. And I'm just floored that when we see Daniel, he is just rock solid. The Bible says in him was an excellent spirit. There is an excellent morality and a man of integrity, a man of faithfulness, a man of his word, a man that if he said, said what he meant, meant what he said. And if he said he was going to do his work, he did it well. And he was a person who was so faithful in all of that, just so constant. And it was really an overflow of his constant faith in a God that he trusted as the big rock in his life, the one that he could look to. He could go through all of the topsy-turvy up and down and military coups and all of that that he experienced because the biggest thing in his life was God. It wasn't whatever was going on in his workplace. It wasn't whatever a political military leader was going on. It wasn't the economy. Can you imagine new kingdoms come in and economies change, job descriptions shift, everything shifts when new kings take over. But his life was constant. So first lesson for you and for me, if you're going to be a person who takes your faith to work, who lives out your faith, You've got to be a person of faith 24-7, and that means God is the biggest thing in your life. He's the one that defines you, not your job, not your pay grade, not your retirement plan, not anything except the God of heaven. And because God is what defined Daniel, it's God is the one that Daniel looked to, he could live with all of the craziness around him. Now, Daniel's faith was very practical. It wasn't just this spiritual you know, let's go sit somewhere and chant or, you know, uh, or pray all day long. I mean, he had a regiment. He, I'm picturing he prayed morning when he got up. He prayed probably at his lunch hour and he prayed sometime at night, whether dinner or bed or whatever. The Bible says three times a day was his habit to, to focus and pray on God. But, but he had, his faith was practical. It made him a faithful employee. It, it caused him his, his, his work ethic his faithfulness and how he talked and how he led meetings and how he engaged people in all of his workplace was an overflow of his faith. It wasn't separate from it. His work flowed out of his belief in a God that a God is to be honored, a God is to be followed, and because of it, we are to live our lives at a certain level of, of, um, of honesty and respect and integrity and faithfulness. It was a practical kind of faith. And then, of course, it was a very godly kind of faith, if you will, is that he had a deep relationship with God. How did he survive military coups? And how did he survive administration shifts and dumb decisions by kings that probably drove him crazy privately? And, you know, all of the shifts and things around him. You know, if, if you're like me, when I, those things come on, I'm like, what are they thinking? Like, that is the dumbest decision in the world. Why would they make decision X, and I can get frustrated by that stuff. But Daniel was a guy that he just said, God, 
I'm going to live out my life godly before you. He was a man completely of faith that Jesus Christ ruled in his life. Even the king, we'll see in a minute, said, Daniel, you serve God continually. His enemies at work, I want you to notice this. His enemies said, we can't find any flaw with him, in verse 5, unless it's in connection with the law of his God. Today we would say, somebody would say, unless it's in connection with your love for Jesus, or in connection with your love of the gospel, that Jesus died for you and rose again. You see, the gospel and the fact that Jesus died for our sins means that you and I should live for him. It means that there is a, a lifestyle, a standard of living, if you will, that, that God expects of us, that we're his kids, and he wants to increasingly in our life to change our life so that we reflect his character. Not just when we're thinking about him, reading the Bible at home, not just when we're maybe driving in the car, or listening to Christian music, or not just when we're at church, but that our whole life becomes oriented around the gospel. Whether you're digging a, a hole at work, whether you're driving a truck, whether you're answering an email, whether you're sitting in a meeting, whether you're dealing with budgets, whether you're hiring or firing someone, all of those things should be reflective of your relationship with Jesus and the gospel in your life. Our coworkers ought to be able to recognize in our life that there is something different, just as they did in Daniel's life. So take your faith to work. Don't be obnoxious about it, but be, be a person of faith 24-7. Now, the second thing I want you to recognize is when you do this, there's going to be a few problems along the way. You're going to hit some bumps. Sean, that sounds great, but wow, I've done that. That's hard. I've faced some stuff. Absolutely. Look what, look what happens after the king comes and checks on Daniel to see how he made out. Verse 19, Then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Verse 20, As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, because he really didn't expect God to be powerful enough to close the mouths of a lion. So fascinating. The king believed in Daniel's faith. He didn't believe in the God in whose faith Daniel's, Daniel had faith. He believed in Daniel. He didn't believe in God. So he comes in anguish, crying out. Has he saved you? Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? I'll tell you a secret. Your coworkers are asking the exact same question. They're hurting. They've got deep questions. They've got pain in their life. They've got life issues and frustrations. And one of the key things that they're asking, is there anyone who is able and can help me? Anyone. I was a chaplain for a number of months. I don't think it was quite a year here in the capital region, uh, just a few years ago. And I would go into a couple of hotels and... I would just talk with the staff, wherever they were, housekeeping. By the way, when you're at a hotel, you ought to treat those people really well. They work hard and get paid, garbage paid, and generally don't get treated very well by their supervisors. Um, and I went into a truck repair place with uh, guys that were repairing, so they'd be working under the trucks and welding or whatever, and I would just I would talk to them. And uh, people are struggling in life, guys. Your coworkers are struggling deeply, more than you know, more than they will let on with you. 
And they're asking, is there any hope? Is there anyone who cares? Is there anyone that's able? And is God is able? Is God able? They're by and large convinced that church is checked out and can't do anything for them. And church as church really can't. But you and I know that really the secret sauce in this thing is Jesus in your life. It's not the fact you're sitting in this room and listening to me this morning. It's Jesus. It's God. The power of God at work in your life. And God has you at work, and your mission field is, is where you are. And so they're asking the same question that, that, that King Darius asked. Is God able? Verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. <laughs> they wanted lunch. They just didn't get lunch. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Guys, there, I can't think of a clearer picture of what our lives should be like being a Christian today in the workplace around us. Blameless before God and blameless before your supervisor and your boss. That's what we should be doing. God's watching all the time in our lives. And whether our supervisor is watching or not, we should be living blameless. And, God, and Daniel could say, I've been blameless. And God closed the mouths of the lion because of that. And the king was glad and, and goes on that no harm was, was found with Daniel. You're going to run into some serious challenges along the way in your workplace. You're going to run into things that conflict with you. You're going to run into things that don't sit well, and you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to make, have to make some choices. Your bosses at times are going to want you to lie. They're going to want you to carry the party line, and you're going to be like, I can't. I tell you, when those moments happen, you're going to have to politely and respectfully say, I have to honor God. Because respectfully, if you own the universe, like Daniel is telling us God does, you have authority over everybody, even your boss. And along the way, your boss may not like it. They may make trouble for you. They may cause problems. They may get you fired. But I would much rather make a higher commander happy than I would a much lesser commander. Because that higher commander has the that has the ability to shut the mouths of lions, has the ability to take care of you, to put you in a job that you need, to take you where you need to go, he has that ability. And he has you in those places where your faith is going to conflict with the culture around you. That's what it means to be salt and light. It's, what it, it's what's needed. So we look at it and we struggle and we say, oh, I need my little weekend to come together and worship. And we do and want to be together and it's encouraging. But the world around us needs us to live like Daniel and to go in like missionaries into the world around us. And we feel like we're, you know, all alone in that. I want you to realize that you and God make a majority in your workplace. You are not a minority. If God is on your side, nobody can be against you. Again, be respectful. Follow the rules in as much as they, you can and not break God's rules. But the moment your workplace, your environment, your world around you says you must disobey God and dishonor Him, then you have to make a choice in that moment. And I've never, ever once seen God fail to take care of somebody in that situation. And along the way, what will happen is, is people will notice. Some will not like it. 
many won't like it. Because the Bible says that the people of the world, they, they love the darkness because the deeds are evil. But we're children of the light, and it's going, to, it's going to clash and conflict along the way. One of our people in our church, at their workplace, there was going to be a seance held that uh, they were going to try to find previous ghosts who were inhabiting this building. It was an old building, and so they brought in a medium, and all the employees went except for the one person, a part of our church. Thankfully, the person had a good relationship with their boss, and the boss kind of already figured that they wouldn't, the person wouldn't be into it, and they were able to, to stay away from it. Uh, this was during work hours. You know, this was not after hours, say, come on a Saturday, so that person stayed and prayed. Meanwhile, they're up there, you know, trying, playing with a Ouija board and contacting dead spirits. And, you know, and at the end of the day, I said, so what happened? And contact was made supposedly by a, a long-lost employee from, this was a, an institution, not a, a young business, and, you know, from 100 years ago, and uh, the person, you know, described themselves, and, uh, in great detail, told the years that they served, and uh, to the degree that, okay, either the medium came and did a whole lot of really high-end Google searching somehow that, with info that you probably can't find on the internet, or they were legit talking to a demon that was acting as an imposter, which is what I think probably happened, and here's why. The person then said, hey, I did such a good job at work. I want you guys to throw a party celebrating me. Demons like to be honored and worshipped and revered. They like a party. That sounds not like a ghost so much to me as it does something else. You and I are going to have to deal with some of that weirdness more and more and more. Don't let it deflate your spirit. You stand as a child of God. You stand as a, a person of the king. You don't need to be obnoxious about it. This employee handled it well. In fact, when they came back and said, oh, we're thinking about having a party, the person said, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Well, what do you mean? Well, how do you know you're talking to a ghost? How do you know you're not talking to a demon? And the person kind of said, ooh, that's a good thought. See, that's the crazy spiritual world we're in. Like, they're okay with demons. It, it's just they get it. They expect weirdness. And they were able to stave all of that off. God puts us in those environments, guys, for, for two reasons. And this will be my third point, point. I'm done. He puts us in environments because he wants to honor himself and he wants to reach other people through us. See, some of you are saying, Sean, I'm the only Christian there, and I've told people about Jesus, and just nobody is interested. That's really hard. But can I tell you that if all that happens is, is God is honoring himself through you in that place as salt and light, then that's a whole lot, and that's all that God asks. But along the way, if we're living as we should, then there are going to be some people who are interested just like the King Darius was. I mean, God slapped Darius in the face. I mean, if, we haven't, if we've learned anything, God got Nebuchadnezzar's attention, he got Belshazzar's attention, and now he's got King Darius's attention. I think God can get the attention of your supervisor, of your biggest headache or whomever at work, if he really wants to. I think he can do it. Look what the Bible says King Darius said after this happened, and I'm done, I'm wrapping it up. In verse 25, much like Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this global decree. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Hey, attention, everyone, attention. 
Peace be multiplied to you. I want blessings to you. I want something that's good. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Here's why. Tremble in fear. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His kingdom's bigger than mine. He'll outlive me. He's more powerful. And his kingdom shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, which means we need to be delivered and rescued. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth and who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. How did Nebuchadnezzar know all of that? Daniel told him. I mean, how did Darius know all of that? Daniel told him. He didn't know about all those kingdoms. He sat down and had at least one conversation. Daniel, tell me about this God that's powerful enough to save you out of the lions. I've never seen that in my life. Daniel, I've heard some things about Nebuchadnezzar. Tell me about this God. Oh, king, he is a kingdom that will never end. You think he told him about Nebuchadnezzar's dream? I think so. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was going to come to an end. There was going to be the Medes and the Persians and the four kingdoms, but God was going to establish his kingdom. I think so. O king, this God is a living God, and he wants to rescue and deliver people. If we all live this way in our life, whether we're going to Target, Hannaford, or Price Chopper, or I guess what's it, Market 32 now, uh, we're going to whatever we're doing, if we live this way on our social media, not just, not just putting out our little, you know, Jesus judo moves, you know, but just living out our faith, being open, not obnoxious. Yeah, there's going to be some people that won't like it. God will bless us in it, and it will cause some jealousies along the way. But there'll be some people that will say, tell me about this God that was powerful enough to help you through your trouble. I want to know about this God. I want to know about that God that has practical reality in this world. Your coworkers are looking for those realities. Some of you then will say to you, oh, but I'm an atheist. If I don't see God do some more proof, I won't believe. Can I tell you, 90% of the world is not in that ballgame. And even most atheists, what they really don't want to deal with is their own morality, accountability. They just want to shift the argument aside and put all that aside. Most people are dealing with their own consciences. They're dealing with their own stuff, and they're looking for hope, just practical reality. And if you live that out practically, caring for them, praying for them, loving them as it's appropriate to wherever they are, caring about your coworkers, God's going to give you some opportunities to glorify Him and to touch other lives. That's what he's called us to. That's what your mission field is. Now, he may have another mission field for you on top of that. Like we've been to Mexico and as a church, and we have some individuals have gone to other places and other parts of the world. But your mission field is absolutely your workplace. Remember when Jesus sent out the 70, and I'm done with this. He sent out 70 people, not the apostles, just 70 average ordinary people, people like you and me. And he said, hey, I want you to go into a town, and I want you to go find a family and go live with them. If they reject you, it's okay. Just shake the dust off your feet, move on to the next one. Don't get offended. Don't beat your head against the wall. Just move on. And when you're there, I want you to minister to them, love them, do cool stuff, and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to them. 
And we're not going to live with people today in our homes. Most of us won't. We're not going to go ask to live with people. But you spend an awful lot of time with your coworkers or the people with whom you serve, or the vendors that you see every day for 10 years, or once a week for 15 years, you begin to live with them. They learn about you. They know your life. You know their lives. You get a sense if their family's doing well, if it's not, where their struggles are. Don't you think God wants us to bring the good news of the kingdom into that environment? I do. That's what he wants. That's what he expects from us. So as our worship team comes up to close us out, I want to challenge you this morning. What do you need to do to be a person of faith in your work? Do you need to be faithful? Have you let your integrity slide? It's awfully easy when the gossip and the complaints and the criticisms begin to fly, isn't it? It's hard when the jokes begin to fly around and not feel like one of the crowd. It's hard in those moments. I've fallen with some of the gossip and criticism before. Maybe you're this morning, you need to say, God, forgive me of that. And maybe you need to say in your own heart before God, I'm not going to play that game anymore. If it helps you, two things you need to keep in mind. Your supervisors are dealing with stuff that you don't know. And some of the times, if not a lot of times, you might make some of those same exact decisions if you know everything they knew and are having to deal with. And even if they do make a dumb decision... You're there to honor God. Your attitude, your words, your work, you're there to serve God. So even if the morale is terrible and around, everybody around you is irresponsible and shiftless, you be responsible. You may need to go find a new job at some point. And God may say, no, I want you to stay here. Because without you, this is a dark place but serve Him. So maybe you need to take that step forward. Maybe you need to take a step where you've allowed the world to intimidate you. Daniel didn't let the threat of lions intimidate him, guys. I've let people intimidate me. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about, again, being this whatever, just out there person. But Jesus said to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all peoples, of all nations. Where you serve represents one of those nations, one of those peoples. And Jesus said, I have full authority, not them. This is what I want you to do. So you should be praying for those around you. God, would you use me? Would you help me to live regardless, but would you use me? And be willing to be an instrument of Him for His glory in that place. So I'm going to ask if you stand with me and pray. And this is our time just to respond to God with what He's been kind of talking to you about, what you've been thinking. Our faith is to be practical, real life, every day. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the testimony of Daniel. Thank you that he lived with such excellence and faithfulness. His words didn't fall to the ground. He didn't speak out of turn inappropriately, irrationally, obnoxiously. I see him as measured, but a man who was bold, who would live out. And the king knew that, yes, he was a man who served you, God, but he also learned that he was a man who served him well. I pray you would help each of us, whether the individuals here this morning are retired or whether they're working 
Lord, I pray you would help us to represent you well in the marketplace and the mission fields in which we're called to every week. Lord, would you use us? Help us to shine for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.